the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back. Friday, September 1st, 2023. I am Seth Liebson, 602-508-0960. I got Mr. Bill to my north. I've got David Dahl, my producer, to my west. And anyone who wants to call in wherever you are on the compass, 602-5089-60. How are you doing today, Mr. Dahl? You're a very happy man. You got free uh, soup for lunch. Free soup. Yeah. That is known as free pizza from Lou Malnati's. We had this discussion with Sam Stone yesterday. It's not soup. Anyway. Anyway. Um, yes. I. You know, I got a lot of... Uh, I, I mentioned some of this with Sam yesterday in our third hour, and I thought I'd, I got a lot of feedback on it asking me to delve into it a little bit further. I'm happy to do so, especially as it's back-to-school time. And... Uh, and it's um, it's an essay from the Free Press. The Free Press was started by Barry Weiss. Barry is B-A-R-I. Barry Weiss is a uh, liberal. We can probably count on our hand five true liberals as opposed to leftists. She's a liberal. And uh, she left the New York Times uh, running and screaming when she was on their editorial board over there to found the Free Press and uh, has done a great job with it. It's not the same thing as the publisher. Many of you know books that come from a publishing house called the Free Press. And uh, anyway, she um, she put out a call, Barry Weiss did. She put out a call to, four, to teenagers across the country asking them, um, asking them uh, in an essay contest uh, how they would fix today's Teen problems in a very troubled American society, and uh, 400 teenagers submitted essays, and the winner was uh, one uh, one Ruby LaRocca, who is a 17 year old homeschool student, and um, it, it, she wrote what is called what she calls a Constitution for Teenage Happiness. And I just think it's so darn good as I measured from the emails and responses I got from my interview with Sam and talking about it yesterday in a third hour, thought I'd use it to set off the discussion, or a discussion, you can talk about anything you want, for our first hour, especially as it is a back-to-school moment in time right now. Um, this 17-year-old homeschool senior, Ruby, said, when people ask me why I sacrificed the sociable, slightly surreal daily life at my local school for the solitary life of a homeschool student, I am. I almost never reveal the reason. The reason is an absence of books. For many students, books are irrelevant, she writes. They take too long to read. Even teachers have argued for the benefits of shorter digital resources. Last April, the National Council of Teachers of English declared it was time to, quote, decenter book reading and essay writing as the pinnacles of English language arts education, close quote. You want to understand why we have a decline in Reading and literacy scores? How about that? The National Council of Teachers of English says it's time to decenter book reading and essay writing as the pinnacles of English language arts education. But Ruby says, what is an English education without reading and learning to write about books? 
Many of our English teachers instead encourage extemporaneous discussions of our feelings and socioeconomic status, viewings of dance videos, and endless TED Talks. So five days into my sophomore year, she writes, I convinced my mother to homeschool me. That's something right there when the child is convincing the parents, huh? Distance from high school affords a clearer view of its perennial problems. As I head into my final year of homeschooling, I often think about the dilemma in American education, which perhaps should be called the student crisis. It's also a teacher crisis. Students and teachers are more exhausted and fragile than they used to be. But reducing homework or getting it of, excuse me, but, but reducing homework or gutting it of substance, taking away structure and accountability and creating boundless space for student voices feels more patronizing than supportive. The taut cable of high expectations has been slackened, and the result is the current mood. Listlessness. Listlessness. It's a good word. Like human happiness, teenage happiness does not flourish when everyone has the freedom to live just as they please. Whether there is, where there is neither order nor necessity in life, no constraints, no hin- inhibitions, no discomfort, life becomes both relaxing and boring, as American political philosopher Alan Bloom notes. It becomes a soft imprisonment. So here is my counterintuitive guide for teenage happiness. Number one. Read old books. In Alan Bennett's The History of Boys, the profoundly human, that is to say imperfect, teacher Hector reminds his students that, quote, the best moments in reading are when you come across something, a thought, a feeling, a way of looking at things that you'd thought special, particular to you. And here it is, set down by someone else, a person you've never met, maybe even someone long dead. And it's as if a hand has come, a, come out and taken yours. I love that. A hand has come out and taken yours. I love that so much because I remember when I was interviewed for National Review when Harry Jaffa died, I believe I was quoted as saying when I met him in college, my great mentor and teacher, I said I grabbed his hand and never let go. It's as if a hand has come out and taken yours. He never let go either. Today's teachers and students talk a lot about relatability. They want to see their own lives and experiences reflected in the books they read. I, however, am electrified when a book gives me the feeling Hector brilliantly describes words from someone who is not at all like me, from a very different time and place, yet speaks words that feel written just for me. That is what a great book does. That is the purpose of reading great books that have been dispensed with in what was known as the Western canon. Same with great philosophy. It's a conversation with a greater mind than your own from a different period of time. That's what these things are. They're conversations with ancient wisdom. Books that are representative, that are more easily absorbed, undermine the main reason to read them, to push readers beyond themselves in uncomfortable and productive ways. Bloom wrote about the disappearance of books from our educational lives back in 1987. Books, he argued, quote, are no longer an important part of the lives of students. Information is important, but profound and beautiful books are not where they go for it. They have no books that are companions and friends to which they look for counsel, companionship, inspiration, or true pleasure. They do not expect to find in them sympathy for or clarification of their innermost desires and experience. The worst part is that we students are blind to the extent of our loss. They don't know, in other words, what they don't know. 
It's the opposite of philosophy, isn't it? Knowing what you don't know, right? Her second rule, memorize poetry and learn ancient languages. In another scene from the History Boys, one English schoolboy preparing for Oxbridge entrance exams named Tims asks Hector why they are reading the poetry of A.E. Hausman instead of doing something more practical. Tim says, I don't always understand poetry. Hector says, you don't always understand it. Tim's, I never understand it, but learn it now, know it now, and you will understand it whenever that time comes. The student says, I don't see how we can understand it. Most of the stuff poetry's about hasn't happened to us yet. Hector, but it will, Tim's, it will. And then you will have the antidote ready. Like Tim's, I sometimes don't understand when I'm learning or memorizing when I study poetry, Ruby writes, but I believe Hector, when he says it, prepares us for the very real events of the world, going to war, falling in love, falling out of love, making a friend, losing a friend, having a child, losing a child. Understanding ancient authors as they understood themselves is the surest means of finding alternatives to our current way of seeing the world. It is what Bloom calls one of the most awesome undertakings of the mind. The first step to reading ancient authors is learning ancient languages, Latin, Greek, Sanskrit, Old English. I found the work of learning languages and the difficult art of translation to be the most taxing and pleasurable method of training my brain, combining technical rigor with poetic insight. It doesn't matter if all the hours you spend studying gerunds and middle passives and semi-deponents seem to offer no immediate service. Learn them. It will serve you in a way you don't yet know. Dennis Prager likes to go off, before I go on with this, Dennis Prager likes to go off with what he thought was some of the worst advice of the 60s and 70s. That advice being don't trust, meaning don't listen to anyone over the age of 30. It's going to be the rare person who's under 30 that has something truly important to teach. And by rare, this woman, Ruby, is one of them. Pick up with her uh, three other rules, her three other commandments, if you will, for teenage happiness when we come back. I love those tom-toms in the back when he does that, those faint tom-toms. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show, 602-508-0960. I learned my best school excuse from that song. Yes. Tell the teacher we're surfing. And that'll work? Well, in Arizona, definitely. All right. <laughs> yeah. That's a, there is a song. Um, who sings it? I've got some oceanfront property in Arizona. I don't know it. Yeah, I, I'll, I'll think of it in just a moment. Um, oh, gosh. Who sings it? Oh, the audience is crashing all over the city screaming me the right answer i can't get it doesn't matter um i was going through the um this great 17 year old homeschoolers essay uh, a constitution for teenage happiness it's five items i did the first two read old books uh, memorize poetry learn ancient languages uh three we didn't get to three learn from the monks and slow your pace of reading of writing of thinking someone once told me that i look like martin luther you know, the 16th century German clergyman who called for reformation in the Catholic Church? This comment referred to my bangs, she writes, which are somewhat short and monastic. I think it's funny that my hairstyle echoes my lifestyle. I wake up at 6 a.m., work alone for many hours on subjects that seem arcane, Latin, German, mathematics, spend more hours caught up in an actual printed book, 
and get to bed at a very reasonable grandmotherly hour, as we have a family saying that nothing good happens after 9.07 p.m. I used to think speed equaled competence. If you're a motivated student, you may find yourself on the accelerated track. Instead of learning things that challenge you, you are simply rushed through the curriculum, covering concepts at a faster rate than your peers. Since I transitioned to homeschool, I never move on from a problem or subject before I am ready. I find knowing that I truly understand something or at least have spent time trying to know it and thus expanding my mind far more rewarding than the fleeting frisson of being the first to finish. That's a great word, frisson. We don't use it enough. It's a... it's a it's a sudden feeling of excitement. A tempor- I, I often say temporary excitation. That's a frisson, f r i s s o n. How many new words a day do you learn here, David? At least one. At least one. What did you learn yesterday? I'll give you a hint. It was during the discussion of Milton Friedman and the pencil. Synecdoche, the word you learned. Just, yes, today's show brought to you by the word synecdoche. <laughs> show yes. This idea of owning a subject, just really, really knowing it. You can't be expected to know everything, and people do have, people do have um, different, uh, different talents and different skills and different aptitudes. And some of it is a natural gift that you can never train to, but anyone with a natural gift does have to train. That's a really important principle. You see that, and you get to know that a lot with musicians. Um, this might be this next one might be my 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 new favorite. Should I tell take the call or do take the call first before I do it? Take the call. All right, take the call. David is having all kinds of. What are you having? All, all, all you're 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 having all kinds of uh, erectations over there. So I'll go to the. Yeah, yes, excitations, uh, alarms and excursions. We'll go to Jeff in uh, Mesa. No, we won't. We'll go to Peter in Mesa. Hi, Peter. How are you? Hi, I am well, Seth. It's wonderful to hear you on the radio. I enjoy your show immensely. Thank you. Uh, We want the young man to be calm, so no excitation. All right, I like it. Yeah, Fred Rogers, you know Mr. Rogers, Fred Rogers? He had a... um, he had a quote that he kept in his suit pocket every day, and it's a wonderful quote. It's, uh, calm is a language the blind can read and the deaf can hear. Isn't that beautiful? I love it. Isn't it? Yeah. I love it. Well, I wanted to call and let you know about the oceanfront property in Arizona. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, right. It's Jeff Dayton. It's Jeff Dayton? Okay. Yeah. All right. That's the not the th- person man. I was thinking of. I was. Yeah. I thought it was much a bit a much bigger. I thought it was. I thought it maybe was George Strait. Does that not ring a bell? Uh, no. Okay. All right. No. I, maybe George Strait did a remake of it, but that's Jeff Dayton was the one who put it out. Okay. All right. That's 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 possible. All right. So thank you for that. What do I need to know about Jeff Dayton? I know very little about Jeff Dayton, if anything. Uh, he had a good band. He still does. Okay. And is still performing all over the Southwest, as far as I know. Uh, he does travel, and he is a member of the Arizona Songwriters Association. Oh, he's a local he boy. Is, Wonderful. Okay. Yeah, he is an absolutely amazing songwriter. Oh wow! All right. Well, if he's in earshot. 
and he can hear us or if someone knows him and has contact with him, tell him to get in touch with me. We'll get him on the show. I, I can actually, I think I can actually... You, you know, might be able happen. to effectuate that. That's wonderful, Peter. Yeah, okay. as long as I don't ameliorate the escatop. No, 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 no. We won't. We won't. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was another. That was another one of my favorites from the show a long time ago. Yeah, yeah. That's that's the old motto for Young Americans Foundation. It's amanitized. Don't amanitize the eschaton. Oh, did I have that and wrong? Oh, no, no. It's all right. It's it. What did you say, Amelia? It's the same Ameliorate. thing. Don't attenuate. Don't bring it down to. That was the Young Americans for Freedom. What a far fall that organization had. Do you know much about that organization? No. no, It was founded at William Buckley's house in in Connecticut, in uh, in Sharon, Connecticut, circa 1961. And I don't know if you saw the Republican debate a week and a half, a week and a day ago. Did you? Did you see the Republican debate a week ago? I saw snippets of it, but I really had something else to do. They had a student college student ask a question of the candidates and he was self-identified as a member of the young americans for freedom or the young america's foundation i guess as it's now called and his question is what do you intend to do to stop man-made global warming and i thought boy how far that organization has fallen wow yeah 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 i would not have ever oh wow yeah second law of thermodynamics right everything turns to crud Man. Yeah. yeah. Good old entropy. Here yeah. We go. Yeah, entropy. Man, you're 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 building my vocabulary as much as anyone. <laughs> Peter, are you a musician too or just a word? I am a musician a... and I was playing with a competing band of Jeff's um way back when. Uh-huh. And the band's name was Coyote and our lead singer Ron Davis wrote a song called I Found Jesus in My Tortilla. I uh, well, that, hmm. but it yeah. never hit the big time. I, hmm, interesting. I, send me the lyrics. I'd like. I'd be interested in that. I was going to ask if you're a musician or a sescapedalian. Think on that. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Six zero two five zero eight zero nine six zero. Well, we got off on a on a on a slightly different track here than the than the. <laughs> 17-year-old's advice I was giving, but it's perfectly fine because nothing is off track. Are you familiar with General Oliver Smith, young David? Oliver Smith. Yeah, Oliver P. Smith. Oliver Prince Smith. He was a... I don't think so. He was a United States general in the Korean War who's famous for the quote when he was when he was accused of retreating in the Battle of the Chosen River. He was He, he, he was quoted as saying... I'm not retreating. I'm advancing in a different direction. <laughs> so he's also a jokester. So, well, I like that principle. I, we need to adopt it more. I'm not retreating. I'm advancing in a different direction. So on the break, you you told me something that you need to share with the entirety of our vast audience. The entirety of the audience? Yeah, okay. all of them. I was just going to mention, I don't know if you even knew this. I didn't. But I was involved with Young Americans for Freedom when I was in high school. That was also when it was YAAF. <laughs> YAF. Yeah, yeah. Young Americans for Freedom. And did you yeah. have did you have that that saying that bumper sticker? Amanitize the es- don't amanitize the eschaton. No, I didn't have a bumper sticker. <laughs> it was long gone. I, w- I was involved in a few of their projects in high school, including they do a, they do a great one every year, and I don't I don't know again if they still do that or not, but they would lay out a single flag every nine eleven for yeah, every good. person who perished good. in the attacks. Good. 
And so I was part of a high school chapter. I actually tried to start that with another couple of students. That's a beautiful thing to do. Hugh Hallman is part of doing that at Hippie every year. Mm -hmm. Not a surprise. Um, They put out that Sharon statement, which is a declaration of principles, the Sharon statement, because it was done at Bill Buckley's house in Sharon, Connecticut, 1960-61. And I remember uh, having occasion to recite it in my book, American Greatness, which in the chapter, you know, there was all this talk about uh, Donald Trump being such a deviation from traditional conservatism. It depends which conservatism. We were making the point in that book that uh, if you look at the new right from the 60s, the Goldwater and Bill Buckley uh, set of principles, if you look at the Credenda of National Review, if you look at the Sharon Statement, uh, I'll read you some of it. It's not so much a deviation from conservative principles. It's a deviation from current, perhaps, things calling themselves conservative principles. But it was really a revolution back to what National Review was founded upon and what the Young Americans for Freedom were talking about. The Sharon Statement, I'll just give you some of it. In this time of moral and political crisis, it is the responsibility of the youth of America to affirm certain eternal truths. We believe that foremost among the transcendent values is the individual's use of his God-given free will, whence derives his right to be free from the restrictions of arbitrary force. We believe that liberty is indivisible and that political freedom cannot long exist without economic freedom. We believe that the purpose of government is to protect those freedoms through the preservation of internal order, the provision of national defense, and the administration of justice. We believe that when government ventures beyond these rightful functions, it accumulates power which tends to diminish order and liberty. We believe that the Constitution of the United States is the best arrangement yet devised for empowering government to fulfill its proper role while restraining it from the concentration and abuse of power. We believe that the genius of the Constitution, the division of powers, is summed up in the clause that reserves primacy to the several states or to the people in those spheres not specifically delegated to the federal government. We believe that the market economy allocating resources by the free play of supply and demand is is the single economic system compatible with the requirements of personal freedom and constitutional government, and that it is at the same time the most productive supplier of human needs. We believe that when government interferes with the work of the market economy, it tends to reduce the moral and physical strength of the nation, that when it takes from one man to bestow on another, it diminishes the incentive of the first, the integrity of the second, and the moral autonomy of both. We believe that we will be free only so long as the national sovereignty of the United States is secure, that history shows periods of freedom are rare and can exist only when free citizens concertedly defend their rights against all enemies. We believe that the forces of international communism are, at present, the greatest single threat to these liberties. We believe that the United States should stress victory over rather than coexistence with this menace. And we believe that the American foreign policy must be judged by this criterion. Does it serve the just interests of the United States? You know what? Let that just be the Republican Party platform in 2024. That's it. That's it. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show, 602-508-0960. Young David was just informing me some very good news. Thank you in large part to the generosity of this audience. Our good friend, uh, State Senator J.D. Mesnard, 
reached his GoFundMe goal. So for those of you that helped out, a big thank you to all of you for doing that, helping a good, good couple of men over there. This is kind of amusing. I was just, we were reading that Sharon statement, which is a, a list of things we students believe in, as they wrote in 1960. We believe in, by the way, when you were a member of YAF, did you read that statement or was that long gone by then? No, it was still in it, some of the, the founding like, was, leadership documents, okay. but it wasn't really public. Yeah, yeah. Oh, interesting. Well, um, it was a list of things we believe in, and it's a great list. I was just saying, just, you know, quit futzing around with the Republican Party platform and use that. I uh, I was thinking of the 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 we believe statements, you know those uh those signs, those black uh signs with bright colors that people put in their front yards that started cropping up in 2020 that basically told you if you're like me that you want nothing to do in that with that house, the signs that said in this house we believe black lives matter. Women's rights are human rights. No human is illegal. Science is real. Love is love and kindness is everything. Do you remember those signs? Remember those signs? You still see them now and, now and again. What would Seth's sign say? Well, I will <laughs> tell you what it would say. That's funny. You should, I'm glad you asked. Uh, <clears throat> someone put up a um, – someone put this one up. I like this. This is good. You ready? Uh, there's, mine would say one and two. I may put this up in my front yard. It says, in this house, we believe, and it's done in the same format, in this house, we believe cloth masks save lives, viruses can't travel more than six feet, my vaccine protects you, Fauci is science, plexiglass stops COVID, and a bat coronavirus randomly jumped to humans right outside the Chinese lab where they were modifying bat coronaviruses to jump to humans. I love that. Now, now the funny thing is people will take it seriously, at least until they get to that part, and they may not even know what that part is. They're gonna, there will be people that say, oh, cloth masks save lives. It's, it's abs- the tell here is that no rational person can believe any of these things anymore, can they? Cloth masks saves lives. Viruses can't travel more than six feet. My vaccine protects. That's how absurd it is, is that it is truly the word ridiculous. Worthy of ridicule, these positions, right? I mean, so it is done sarcastically. The sad thing is there's a lot of people believe it. What would mine say? Um, do you remember our interview? Great writer with P- – yeah, you will, Bill. Uh, sorry, you will, David. Uh, Peachy Keenan, she, she wrote the book Domestic Extremist, A Practical Guide to Winning the Culture War. She had a sign um, that I loved so very much. In this house, we believe parents are the bosses of their kids. Babies are good. More babies are better. Dating is for suckers. Two genders are plenty. Your career is overrated. Feminism is a cope for the unpopular and the undateable. Mainstream American culture destroys families. We are going to win. That's what she put up, Peachy Keenan. It's strong. (laughs) It's strong. I'm just saying what she believes, not what I believe. I'm just saying what she believes. But that's what that made me think of. I love that. I love it. I love it. I love it. All right. Where am I going to? Susan, who is calling from Cave Creek. Hello, Susan. Hi, Seth Lisa. Thank you so much. I really love all your shows on that um, radio station. Oh, thanks. I listen to it. Thanks. So God bless you all for what you're doing. Thank you. I just wanted to share with you, I, got, I went to Montana to visit a friend of mine, and I found a T-shirt that I had to have, and I wanted to share it with you. Oh, please. It says, I didn't serve this country for... 
like you to tell me that I should be politically correct. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Got to be careful on that. Got to be careful on radio, Susan. <laughs> Got to be careful. Uh, the FCC doesn't govern T-shirts, <laughs> but it governs this show. Did we zap that? appropriately did we get it out okay susan bless you for your nice words but uh i can't uh those fines are pretty hefty (laughs) if we do that all right but i appreciate the sentiment and i appreciate your kind words in the call all right let me go back if i might to um if i if i just might to the um, 17-year-old homeschooler who wrote the essay, A Constitution for Teenage Happiness. She had five points, and we got up to point four before we, uh, before we advanced in a different direction, shall we say. But point four, I think, is just so wonderful, and that a 17-year-old, that a 17-year-old would, um, would write it is wonderful. Learn how to conduct yourself in public. It all begins with knowing how to arrange your face when having conversations with real living people. No one wants to talk to someone who has a slack jaw and glazed eyes, who yawns openly, who doesn't laugh at jokes or nod in recognition. Too many Zoom school sessions involve speaking into a void of faceless boxes. So, for my 17th birthday, I threw an intergenerational celebration of First World War era poetry. I labored lovingly on a historically accurate chocolate cake modeled on the trenches and waste of no man's land. When I told my when I told my best traditional high school age friend to come with her favorite war poem, she said sarcastically, sarcastically, it will be so hard to choose. I invited my teachers, family members and friends of my parents. A little weird, but it was a great party and the conversation flowed. Part of learning how to conduct yourself in public is learning how to interact with people of different ages and experiences who read different books, watch different shows, and grew up in different times than you. Yeah, it keeps coming back to that. It keeps coming back to that one. Different time than the one you live in. It's not about validation. It really isn't. And it's not about, as she says, representation. There's nothing creative and mind-expanding about that. All that is is descriptive. You want to have a thought and a conversation. You want to have an expansion of something bigger and more, something greater than what's in your present adolescent brain, don't you? I should think you would. And, of course, the fifth one's so important. The final key to being happy is to do away with the machine for feeling bad, as we call it in my house. Seriously? Walk away from your phone. You've seen the statistics. You've read the Jonathan Haidt articles, and you've watched the Netflix Netflix documentary with Tristan Harris. You know it's bad for you. But let's make it more concrete. Having a phone in your pocket is like always carrying around a glazed donut that constantly tempts you to snack on it. But if you do, you know it will ruin your appetite and make you unhealthy. Sure, the phone is good, especially for people to get hold of you, just like Smearing yourself with blood before you go swimming in shark-infested waters is good ways is a good way for sharks to reach you. <laughs> That's a little strong, but I like the sentiment. There's more damage, probably unseen damage done by our addiction to these things than anything else in society right now. I can't think of anything more damaging to our psychology and sociology right now than that. I really can't. 
She finishes her essay by saying, My roommates at Latin Summer School, a group of some of the kindest and sanest teenagers I have ever met, agree that most of their friends are unhappy and anxious. I wish there were higher standards for us, said one. Another said, I wish we had higher expectations for what we learn. Teenagers actually crave self-guided, unstructured time and the kind of rigor in school that makes you feel energized, not enervated. I hope adults are listening. I hope adults are listening. That should be the new strawberry statement of our time. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show, portions of which are brought to you by the good people at Y Refi. Y Refi is a um, secure and it's an investment in a secure and collateralized portfolio. It comes with a high fixed interest rate, and it's not tied or correlated to the stock market or the Federal Reserve. So if you're um, if you're concerned about this economy with inflation and the volatility of the stock market, this investment could be for you. When I when I talk about a high fixed rate of return, they can offer you up to a ten point two five percent fixed rate of return, and as I say, not correlated to the stock market or the Fed. By the way, no reduction on your principal or penalty if you ever need your money back at any time, and you'll get your monthly statement with no surprises. You can turn your income on or off, compound it, whatever you like. And there are no fees from Y-Refi. Uh, they ask if you might uh, consider visiting with them. Uh, their offices are on Scottsdale Road in the 101. I've been there. No one's going to give you a sales pitch or ask you to sign anything. And uh, if you don't want to visit them, of course, it's easier to check them out online. Check them out at investyrefi.com. That's invest, the letter Y, then refy.com. Or give them a call at 888-Y-REFI-24. That's 888-Y-REFI-24. Yes, sir. Y-REFI-24. Yes. What do you got? All right. That song reminded me. Uh-huh. What? We love Maynard Ferguson around here on the Seth Leibson Show. We most certainly do. What do we got against Dizzy? Dizzy Gillespie. I was listening to his album with Charlie Bird last night, Dizzy and Bird. Why don't we like Dizzy Gillespie? Well, some do. A lot do. <laughs> I realize that the trumpet is uh, – the funny trumpet is, I guess is it, a well, gimmick. Well, it's, no, a gimmick. it's not funny. It was deliberate. Uh, well, it wasn't originally deliberate. Do you know why it looks like that? Well, I, I just figured it was a gimmick, right? Well, it didn't start off that way. Uh, it bent in a bad accident – in a car accident. It bent. And he liked the look of it. <laughs> so he had him made that way afterwards. I mean, I can listen to Herb Albert, and you've taught me, and I can hear that he is a bad trumpet player. But when I hear Dizzy, it sounds pretty decent. It's decent. It's decent. Decent. He had another accident prior to that, and he never played the same way after. He was once a much better trumpet player so than So maybe he I'm was. listening to pre-accident it, very, music? It would have been very early, though. Oh. It would have been like... 1950 or something like that. Um, people think he's this tremendously great because the horn and the cheeks and the whole thing. It, it, it's it's technically, I mean, he's a great jazz musician like Miles Davis. He's a great jazz musician, but I can't point to anything he's done that's great trumpet playing. Can I it give, depends can what I you like. You a, do you like the music or do you like the instrument? I guess that's I like the, the music, okay. but I, let me give you a hot take on Miles Davis. Yeah. Uh, what they call, what the young people call a hot take, right? Yeah, yeah. Kind of Blue is a better Bill Evans album than it is a Miles Davis album. Well, we'll end the hour on that, young David. I will give you the last word. Use the last word. Take the last word. I'm hoping you agree with that. <laughs> 
Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.